Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. My name is John Green, and I'm glad to be with you today. It's February the 26th. It's Friday. And as Lou Rawls said, and the eagle flies on Friday. So it's a great day, and, and I hope that it's uh, wonderful where you are. I hope that, that you have uh, plans for a busy weekend, but a restful weekend as well. Just remember, we were talking yesterday about entering God's rest. We're going to talk a little bit more about it even again today and in some, in some interesting language there. There's some things in these two lessons, in these le- not three lessons, I mean, that, that have much in them that's, huh, what do you say in there? Because it talks about heavens and the heaven of heavens. And there's all kinds of odd language in here that we need to consider as we go forward in these particular lessons. Um, we, we've got to think about the concept of heaven. I mean, there's a, there's an idea that there are seven heavens. That's certainly a, uh, a Jewish concept. And, and sometimes in Christianity, we can add even more than that. Paul speaks about being in the third heaven. So just remember those kinds of ideas. And we've got some, some things there we could do, you know, extended podcasts on why we think that, where we get that notion and all that. So, But today we're, we're not going to get into all of that today, but we're going to continue to talk about what does it mean to believe and, and what is the consequence of believing, the, the benefit of believing, I guess, is the better way to say that. So in the Old Testament lesson, again, the links are below. Please read those lessons too. Be in the Word of God for yourself. Don't let me do that for you. Um, so the first lesson is Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 to 22. And then Moses asks something really straightforward here and then answers it very quickly. And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good. And we can get caught up in the works issue of that. But all of that is based in faith. It's based in belief. Because to fear the Lord your God is to know the Lord your God is a fearsome God. He is someone who is not necessarily completely safe. To know that he is love, but he is judgment as well. Those two things coexist in him both that mercy and that judgment idea. And so then it's call, you're called to walk in his ways and to love him, to serve him with all your heart and all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord. And you keep those things because you believe those things are best and you believe his word is that if you persevere in these things, if you do the things I commanded you to do, then you'll enjoy eternal life. So it's all the works that we're talking about are all based in belief. And then he goes on to, to make this wonderful set of statements. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven, and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that's in it. And in spite of that, he set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. And so, so he makes God huge transcendent, and then he brings him down and makes him imminent. He, is, he cares about his people, even though the heaven and heaven of heavens belong to him and the earth and all that's in it, you are the things that he set his love on. It's a beautiful statement, and it's true, and we know it's true because of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He came in the flesh and dwelt among us so that we might know that. He loves us enough to come among us the great condescension in love to come among us. And so then he goes on to tell more about this God and then tells him to fear him again, to, 
which means to serve him and hold fast to him. But by his name, you'll swear he's your praise. He's your God. He's done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of the heavens. And in doing so, he fulfilled the promise that he made to the forefather Abraham. And, and what Moses is encouraging the people to do is he's reminding them that there were 70 of them when they went down to Egypt 430 years ago. And now he says, look around. You couldn't possibly count this crowd. You can't see it. I mean, it's a huge throng of people in the wilderness and they can see all of this and experience it and they can be overwhelmed by God's goodness and by his keeping of the promise that he made to Abraham that that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars of heaven and so faith isn't just believing stuff no he's pointing them to evidence of their eyes to increase their faith, there's positive evidence of God's goodness. When you look around you, and remember, there was only 70 of them when they went down. And so you see this, this thing that he's continually pointing them to see all around them and in all the things that God has done. And that is the strength of their faith. He reminds them that God spoke to all the people of Israel, the unique claim of all religions in the world, is that God spoke to an entire people, not to a person. But he spoke to a nation. So faith isn't believing in stuff you have no evidence for in this case. Faith is believing in remembering what you've seen, he says, and what God's done. Remember these great and terrifying things your eyes have seen. So faith is a call to remember and to interpret what you remember and what you've seen, to interpret it in such a way that it brings you to a, a new understanding of yourself, your place in the world, and how it all fits together and ties together, and, and that there is not just a random God, but a particular God who spoke to his people and who has loved you by the way that he has dealt with you these 40 years in the wilderness. Faith is, is not what the world wants to make it seem like, nor we should never play that game with them. We should always remember that our faith is based in more than just words. It's based in what we've seen and what others have seen. And so now we go, jump forward to the gospel, John 3, 22 to 36. So Jesus goes out into the countryside, and they're baptizing there. And John's people are baptizing there. John is baptizing, and Jesus's people are baptizing and so a discussion breaks out between John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And, it, and it's an odd thing because that seems to have nothing to do with the next. They're, they're having a conversation about ritual purification, which has to do with baptism. And in, in, in um, Judaism, that's a mikvah. You go down into the mikvah, and you're completely naked in the mikvah. You take off your rings. You take off your makeup. You take off. You you um, actually wash your hair to even get anything out of it that might be a foreign substance of any sort, where it's hairspray or whatever. And and then you go down into the mikvah, and and there's nothing between. You take off the fingernail and toenail polish if, for women, and, and so you go down naked 
and unashamed into the mikvah, and you come out of that mikvah completely cleansed. Women do that. Some In some cultures, they do that every single month after they get their time of the month. It's also done after childbirth, but it's also done by many um, Jewish scholars every single day before they ever open the Word of God. They go down to make sure that they have cleansed themselves. And so they're having this discussion over purification. And somehow that becomes this, this question to, to Jesus, or to John, I mean, that says, He who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing, and all are going to him. I don't know how that first question became this question to John. Um, but John answers and, and says... Um, a person can't receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. And so John's faith was, was not in, in the crowds that he was getting. Because the crowds are now going over to Jesus. And John says, my joy is complete when I see that. Because I was only sent to do one thing, and that's to point to him. And so my joy is complete because people are believing my testimony, and they're going to where Jesus is. I, 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 the job for me was not to attach people to myself. It was to attach people to the one who was to come. And then he points and says the same kinds of things that, that Moses was talking about. He says, you know, he who is of earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he's seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever does receive his testimony sets his seal to this, that God's true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And then he finishes it up with, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son does not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So John's pointing there and saying it's all about belief, but at the same time he says whoever does not obey the Son of God shall not see life. And so if you believe the Son believe in the Son, then you better be doing the works the Son gave you to give. Be about doing the things that you were given to do. Belief has got to show itself, John says, in, in your actions, in who you are. But belief is the ultimate thing, and John's belief is such that I don't care how it affects me. For people to believe Jesus, to believe the testimony that I gave about Him, that the way you believe is to go to him and be with him and follow him. So, no, I'm not upset about that at all. I'm not offended by that. I'm it, Losing my crowd to Jesus is not a problem at all, John says. And it's because John had faith. John believed completely in Jesus so that it didn't affect him one way or another how it affected his, quote, ministry. So then we go forward to the epistle, Hebrews 4, 11 to 16, and it starts in an interesting way. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. That's an interesting way of saying that. We're going to strive to enter rest, but the reality is we do have to work to enter that rest. We have to strive for that. We have to strain every nerve, the song 
says that, that we would press in with everything within us, heart, soul, strength, and mind. We'll press into him and, and give all our effort in order to get to his rest. This life can be toil, but that life will be rest. But even in the midst of toil, we have rest because we're in him. And it's not our work. It's him who works through us. And then he gives this painful description. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to this division of soul and spirit. In other words, it's a dangerous thing to study the Word of God because it speaks a word against you. It's going to hit you so hard that it's going to force you to make certain decisions. And it's interesting to pierce the division of soul and spirit. We don't think about that division very often. The way we we tend to define the soul is it's the spiritual or immaterial part of a human being or animal, which is regarded as immortal. And the spirit is the non-physical part of a person, which is the seat of emotions and character. And and so there's there's that division that seems impossible to define because they're both sort of non-material in some ways. And so this is going to come right to the heart of everything that we have that protects us and that defines us. And it's going to discern the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. Again, we're going back to Genesis, that, that he's not playing here, that all this stuff matters and that we're all naked before him. And go back to that idea of the mikvah that I was talking about before. And the beauty of this is that it ends with these words, let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so if we are willing to come naked before him and allow us, trust him, believe in him as a good God to expose those things to us and change us into his likeness, then we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. And what a wonderful thing that is. Let's finish with a prayer from the psalm. I waited patiently upon the Lord. He stooped to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the desolate pit, out of the mire and the clay. He set my feet upon a high cliff and made my footing sure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many shall see and stand in awe and put their trust in the Lord. Happy are they who trust in the Lord. They do not resort to evil spirits or turn to false gods.